0: The Spirituality of Listening It's one of the most important words in Judaism and also one of the least understood. Its two most famous occurrences are in last week's parasha and this week's. Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Vayayim shema it shall come to pass if you surely listen to my commandments, which I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and all your soul. In other words, the openings of the first and second paragraphs of the Shema. It also appears in the first line of the Parsha, via ekev, tishmu, and it shall be if you listen to these laws. The word, of course, is Shema. I've argued elsewhere that it's fundamentally untranslatable into English, since it means so many things, to hear, to listen, to pay attention to understand, to internalize, to respond, and to obey. It's one of the motif words of the book of Devarim where it appears no less than 92 times, more than in any other book of the Torah, time and again. In the last month of his life, Moses told the people, Shema, listen, heed, Pay attention. Hear what I am saying. Hear what God is saying. Listen to what He wants from us. If only you would listen. Judaism is a religion of listening. And this is one of its most original contributions to civilization. The twin foundations on which Western culture was built were ancient Greece and ancient Israel. They couldn't have been more different. Greece was a profoundly visual culture, its greatest achievements had to do with the eye with seeing. It produced some of the greatest art, sculpture, and architecture the world has ever seen. Its most characteristic group events, theatrical performances, and the Olympic Games were spectacles, meaning performances that were watched. Plato thought of knowledge as a kind of depth vision, seeing beneath the surface to the true form of things. This idea That knowing is seeing remains the dominant metaphor in the West even today. We speak of insight, foresight, hindsight. We offer an observation. We adopt a perspective. We illustrate, we illuminate, we shed light on an issue. When we understand something, we say, I see. Judaism offered a radical alternative it is faith in the God we can't see, a God who cannot be represented visually. The very act of making a graven image a visual symbol is a form of idolatry. As Moses reminded the people in well last week's Parsha, when the Israelites had a direct encounter with God at Mount Sinai, you heard the sound of words but saw no image. Zulatiko, there was only a voice. God communicates in sounds, not sights. He speaks, he commands, he calls. That is why the supreme religious act is Shema. When God speaks, we listen. When he commands, we try to obey. Rabbi David Cohen, known as the Nazir, a disciple of Rav Kook and the father of the chief rabbi of Haifa, of Sha'i Yashuv Cohen, pointed out that in the Babylonian Talmud, all the metaphors of understanding are based not on seeing but on hearing. Tashma, come and hear. Kamashmalan, it teaches us this. Shmamina, infer from this. Lo Shemia le, he didn't agree. A traditional teaching is called a Shamaita, that which was heard, and so on. All of these are variations on the word Shema. This may seem like a small difference, but in fact it's a huge one. For the Greeks, the ideal form of knowledge involved detachment. There is the one who sees the subject, and there is that which is seen the object. And they belong to two different realms. A person who looks at a painting or a sculpture or a play in a theatre or the Olympic Games is not himself or herself part of the art or the drama or the athletic competition. He or she is a spectator, not a participant. But speaking and listening are not forms of detachment, they're forms of engagement. They create a relationship. The Hebrew word for knowledge, da'at, implies involvement, closeness, intimacy. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and gave birth. Now, that is knowing in the Hebrew sense, not in the Greek. We can enter into a relationship with God even though he is infinite and we are finite because we are linked by words. In Revelation, God speaks to us. In prayer, we speak to God. If you want to understand any relationship between husband and wife or parent and child or employer and employee, pay close attention to how they speak and listen to one another. Ignore everything else. The Greeks taught us the forms of knowledge that come from observing and inferring, namely science and philosophy. The first scientists and the first philosophers came from Greece, from the 6th to the 4th centuries BCE. But not everything can be understood by seeing and appearances alone. There's a powerful story told about this in the first book of Samuel. Saul, Israel's first king, looked the part. He was tall. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. He was the image of a king. But morally, temperamentally, he wasn't a leader at all. He was a follower. God then told Samuel to appoint another king in his place, and told him it would be one of the children of Yishai. Samuel went to Yishai and was struck by the appearance of one of his sons, Eliab. He thought he must be the one God meant. But God said to him, don't be impressed by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. God does not see as people do. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Jews and Judaism taught us that we can't see God, but we can hear him, and he hears us. It is through the word, speaking and listening, that we can have an intimate relationship with God as our parent, our partner, our sovereign, the one who loves us and whom we love. We can't demonstrate God scientifically. We can't prove God logically. These are Greek, not Jewish, modes of thought. I believe that from a Jewish perspective, trying to prove the existence of God logically or scientifically is a mistaken enterprise. God isn't an object. He's a subject. The Jewish mode is to relate to God in intimacy and love, as well as awe and reverence. One fascinating modern example came from a Jew who for much of his life was estranged from Judaism, namely Sigmund Freud. He called psychoanalysis the speaking cure, but actually it's better described as the listening cure. It's based on the fact that active listening is in itself therapeutic. It was only after the spread of psychoanalysis, especially in America, that the phrase, I hear you, came into the English language as a way of communicating empathy there's something profoundly spiritual about listening. It's the most effective form of conflict resolution. I know many things can create conflict, but what sustains it is the feeling on the part of at least one of the parties that they have not been heard. They haven't been listened to. We haven't heard their pain. There's been a failure of empathy. That is why the use of force, or for that matter, boycotts, to resolve conflict is so profoundly self-defeating. It may suppress it for a while, but it will return often more intense than before. Job, who has suffered unjustly, is unmoved by the arguments of his comforters. It's not that he insists on being right. What he wants is to be heard. Not by accident does justice presuppose the rule of Audi, alteram Partem, hear or listen to. The other side. Listening lies at the very heart of relationship. It means that we're open to the other, that we respect him or her, that their perceptions and feelings matter to us. We give them permission to be honest, even if this means making ourselves vulnerable in so doing. A good parent listens to their child. A good employer listens to his or her workers. A good company listens to its customers or clients. A good leader listens to those he or she leads. Listening doesn't mean agreeing, but it does mean caring. Listening is the climate in which love and respect grow. In Judaism, we believe our relationship with God is an ongoing tutorial in our relationships with other people. So how can we expect God to listen to us if we fail to listen to our spouse, our children, or the people affected by our work? And how can we expect to encounter God if we have not learned to listen? On Mount Choreb, God taught Elijah that he wasn't in the whirlwind, the earthquake, or, or the fire, but in the kol dakka the still, small voice, that I define as a voice you can only hear if you're listening. Crowds are moved by great speakers. But lives are changed By great listeners. Whether between us and God or us and other people, listening is the prelude to love. Shabbat Shalom.